Hello and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name is Armando, aka Hot Take Mondo, and I am joined by my friend Reese, aka the Reese Incarnate Bach Lesnar. Did I get that right? Got it. Nailed it. It's getting easier week by week, isn't it? Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, kind of like I have to think about it like a split second before I say it. And then I'm like, what are we saying? Yeast, Reese? I don't remember, but I got it right this time. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we are Found City Sports Media. Like I said, and today we are going to talk about opening day. That's right. Baseball is happening this year, starting tomorrow. Well, now you know when we're podcasting, but Thursday is going to be opening day. It is the Royals against the Cleveland Guardians. Oh. Is that right, too? Are they the Guardians now? I was, was going to say, you know, getting Reese Incarnate, Bach Lesnar is getting easier to say, but even in my own head, I <laughs> couldn't say Guardians. When you said Cleveland, I'm like, oh, he's going to say the word, but he didn't. So, yeah, Cleveland Guardians. I, I feel like I feel like we're in like a Disney movie right now, the Cleveland Guardians. But right? I digress. It's a opening night or opening night. Opening day is going to be at the K. I believe it's at 210 Kansas City time. Um, so make sure you check it out. Actually, for those of you that are out of state, you can watch it on MLB.com for free. I just saw because I'm in New York right now. So I will be tuning in and at 415 New York time on MLB.com for free. So check it out. It's going to be great. We're going to break that down today as well as review it. A beautiful beer. I have a really good one in the wings right now. It, it may be one of the best of the year, possibly. So keep make keep watching. And then after that, Reese and I are going to give our takes on, that's right, what you've all been waiting for, the Batman. Yeah. So this is an action-packed episode today. But before we get into it, Reese, let us know how they can follow us on social media. And if they love this podcast, they love that we talk about the Batman and the Bobby Witt Jr., how can they donate? Well, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Fountain City SM. You can find us on TikTok. That one's still hard to say at Fountain City Sports Media. And if you'd like to donate to yep. this podcast for as little as $2 a month, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash FCSM, where you'll find outtakes, bonus episodes, exclusive beer reviews, and coming soon, our 10-part in-depth deep dive into the Fast and Furious franchise. So get ready for that. That'll be there Ten at just 2 bucks part. a month. Oh my god! There's nine mainstream films and Hobbs and Shaw spinoff with a 10th film on the way. But I don't know when that's supposed to come out. So it'll be an 11-part series eventually. But for now, 10-part series. Reese, this is such an investment that... But you know what? For Kansas City fans and for $2 a month, I'm going to invest myself in the Fast and Furious franchise. I'm going to um, get the uh, family meme tattooed on my chest. Uh, that's really all I know about Fast and Furious is the meme about we're family or whatever the crap they talk about yeah, on Fast and Furious. Reese, how are you, Reese? What have you been up to? Haven't seen in a while. You do anything fun? Do you guys get to watch the game while you're at work tomorrow? Yeah. What's going on? I'll probably be at my desk plugging away. So if I can have the broadcast going on in my headphones, I might try and do that because we got Zach Granke's homecoming. He's opening day pitcher yeah. for us, baby. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but now nah, we, it's, it's been a, another busy week at work, so I'm just going to be plugging away and sending emails and getting people to contact me and all that stuff, which is, you know, half the battle, but always fun. Yeah. What about you? Has, you got a big event coming up. What's, what's the next big event at, uh, at Boulevard? 
Uh, so we started doing a weekly happy hour on Fridays called the happiest hour. And every other week, the happiest hour has a theme, and the theme comes with a DJ. So this week's theme is backyard party. And we have a DJ who's going to be spinning for us. His uh, his handle, it's all one word, John is the new black. He's a pretty cool guy. Uh, and we look forward to having him spin, man. It's going to be that wonderful patio party weather Going up on our fourth floor rec deck where it's constantly a cool 68 degrees. What more could you want? What's the special of the happy hour? Oh, man. So every happiest hour has a set of rotating specials. And it's there's always like dollar off draft beer, uh, four for 20 quirk buckets. But there's like a food special, a quirk tail, and a can special that rotate every week. And this week, the $3 can is going to be unfiltered wheat because we just did a major rebrand on that label and it looks pretty sick. Uh, The quirk tail, oh man, this one's, it's the, what is it? The pomelo out. It's a grapefruit twist quirk quirk tail with mezcal and... The flatbread special this week, I believe, is the chicken pesto flatbread. So that's all coming off the top of my head. Card subject to change. So don't come crying to me on Friday when you're like, hey, I'm one of the tens of people that saw your podcast and I heard something else. I demand a (laughs) refund. I don't want to hear that. Found City Sports Radio, one star review. They had fire content, but you know what? The the flatbread was actually barbecued chicken and it pissed me off because I traveled all the way from Wichita, Kansas to come here just for the whatever you said flatbread it was. I may be surprised. By the way, you all should give us a review on Apple Podcast or anything Apple. Uh, if you do give us a review, we will read it live on air, even if it's crazy, even if it's one star. Um, so please give us a review as it helps us. No matter what, you give us a one star, a four star, five star, seven stars. You let us know. Uh, cool. All right, Reese. Uh, let's see. What am I doing? So our show uh, premieres on Sunday and then we take a, two weeks off and then we're back in Syracuse to do another show whenever that is May something uh, going pretty well we're in the theater right now doing dress rehearsals it's all really awesome mm-hmm. uh, fun to be back in the theater fun to be um, doing with the awesome orchestra it's a 33 piece I think which is full orchestra I don't actually know what a full piece orchestra is supposed to be but uh, it's nice to be back into it because the first time that I've sung with a full orchestra since, like since pre-COVID. So that's going to be really exciting because most orchestras that I've worked with during COVID and after have been small and then Glimmerglass, they were electronic. So they weren't even right with us. So it's been really fun. Dude, that's dope. And what, what's, what's the show again? Is it Cenerentola? Uh, Cenerentola, yeah. So for those of you that don't speak Italian, that's Cinderella. And it's not the Cinderella from Disney. It's the original Cinderella telling, which is a little bit different than, like, for example, there's not a fairy godmother. It's a fairy godfather. He's not really a fairy either. Um, And the prince... Uh, the prince chooses Cinderella not because of her looks, but because of, well, he kind of does, but not because of her looks, but because of how nice she is and how lovely and sweet and kind. So he disguises himself as the servant. And then my character, who is actually the servant, disguises himself as the prince. So it's like he picks the he picks Cinderella based on how they treat the servant. So, yeah, back when like things were like actually chivalrous. Where Disney, it's just like, boom, fairy godmother, boom. 
yeah. all this fancy stuff. So it wasn't as fancy before, but anyway, a lot of fun. The music's really great. It's Rossini. Those of you don't know what Rossini is, look it up. He's a great composer that wrote really fast music. And sometimes it's really fast and too fast for me. But oh, well, too fast, too furious. The Rossini saga. Ah, 20 parts. So we'll go through all Rossini operas and break them down just for our Patreon viewers. And then we'll have zero viewers. Yeah. But Reese, do you know who has more than zero viewers? In fact, you put a couple more zeros and you put a one to the left and you th- think of millions of people waiting for tomorrow. You know who I'm talking about? Who Reese? are you talking about, Armando? I'm talking about the guy that we were talking about in 2021. We had a segment called Wit Watch. And ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Bobby Witt Jr. to make his debut with the Kansas City Royals at the at the K. It's finally happening. So ladies and gentlemen, the format today is going to be we're going to go back and forth on what we think are the biggest storylines uh, for the Kansas City Royals in 2022. And the biggest storyline is... A star is about to be born. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Patrick Mahomes, but now introducing the second star in Kansas City, Bobby Witt Jr. Reese, how excited are you? Give us some takes about Bobby Witt Jr. I'm pretty excited mainly in the fact that this seems to be a prospect that not only are the Royals talking about, but a lot of people around the league talking about Bobby Witt Jr. finally getting called up and making the opening league ro- or opening day roster. You know, there was a lot of speculation of would they, wouldn't they last year. And, you know, some of it was kind of warranted. You know, he went in a bit of a cold slump once, you know, we got out of spring training. But he raked in spring training last year. He put it together last year by the time the minor league season ended. And spring training this year has spoken for himself. The guy's ready. He's the number one prospect in all of baseball by a lot of accounts. And that's for good reason. Uh, when he was drafted, he was considered the second best prospect in that draft behind, uh, his name escapes me, that catcher the Baltimore Orioles wound up taking. Uh, yeah. Taking, taking. Wow, I can't even speak tonight. So the the fact that coming out of the draft, he was the two prospect, and now he's worked his way up to being the number one prospect in all of baseball, I really think speaks to his development and the potential of what we have in our Royal Blue Chip player. Armando, how excited are you for Bobby Wood Jr.? Oh my goodness. I I haven't been this excited. Well, actually, I'm more excited about Bobby Witt Jr. than I was Patrick Mahomes starting. Really? I mean, that's how big of a deal this is. Like, like Patrick Mahomes was not a superstar when we drafted him, where Bobby Witt Jr. is a superstar from the draft. Like, when's the last time that Kansas City, and I'm talking Kansas City sports, maybe not the Jayhawks, but I'm talking Royals, sporting, um, and the Chiefs. When's the last time that we drafted someone that was a superstar already? I I can't even. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can go back and forth while I keep talking. Maybe think about someone. Yeah. But Bobby Wood Jr. I think one of the things that people were talking about is if his skills can translate to the MLB. And it's been very clear not only before this spring training, but the spring spring training. Uh, Prior to this, that he has been incredible. Um, all the numbers that he had in the minor leagues have translated. This spring training, he leads our team in home runs with three. He leads our team in runs with 11. Uh, he's batting 406 in spring training. I mean, it is translating. And he's not playing Joe Schmo. He's playing people in the MLB now. So I'm very excited to see him. I think on FanDuel, he's... Uh, he's the second favorite or he's like plus 200 to be the the AL rookie of the year. Um, 
I'm so excited for this because the um, the sky is the roof. I, I feel like I'm Michael <laughs> Jordan when he was doing that speech for North Carolina. No. The ceiling is the ceiling! Or whatever he said. <laughs> yeah, we're making up a lot of talking but, tonight. Tooken, the, the ceiling is the roof. Wow, we're just making all these Fountain City idioms tonight. Fountain City The ceiling is the roof. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I say. I just sang a full opera, so my brain isn't totally here today, but man, I am so stoked for Bobby Witt Jr. Again, like you said, not only is Kansas City watching, the whole world is watching. Yeah. All right. Reese, give us another take. What's another storyline you're looking at in 2021 for the Kansas City, 2022 for the Kansas City Royals? I mean, I think the elephant in the room is, as I mentioned, the fact that we have Zach Granke back after he's gone on and done everything under the sun you know it's a lot of people were kind of mad when he left you know because he said i don't i don't want to be part of rebuilding organization and subsequently we flipped him for a bunch of pieces that wound up being cornerstones for those 14 and 15 world series runs so everyone kind of won in that situation but now the fact that zant granke's back it's going to be kind of a two-part thing a how much does Zach Granke still have left in the tank? He doesn't look washed. I think it's just a matter of, you know, nobody. Oh, no. He's he's in his late 30s. Nobody wants to sign him on for like a, a long-term big money contract. But he's still got gas in the tank. But number two, how much is Zach Granke's poise, leadership, and veteran experience going to be able to affect any of, well, I don't know if you can call them prospects now, but the young pitchers from our 2019 and 2020 draft. I mean, we got five guys in the system four of which have been called up to the majors at this point, but they're all looking to take the next step. Sorry to, tur- sorry to turn a phrase there, but they are all looking to take the next step. I wouldn't say there's anyone that's been consistent. Uh, there have been players that have been consistently poor, but I think the big thing going forward is can our guys like Bubich, Koar, Lynch, Brady Singer, can they take that step forward to be consistent, reliable major league pitchers? I'm not saying they have to go out there and all be Cy Youngs and we're like, oh, ha, ha, we run one through five on our lineup of these guys that are all 22 and under. But at the same time, it's like, can I trust Chris Bubich to go out there? And even if I know he's going to allow four runs per game, he allows three to four runs per game. Basta, no more. Not a few of these games where he's allowing seven runs, eight runs, five runs, two runs, six runs. No, we need consistent pitching knowing what we have in our lineup, and I think the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, I'm just going to piggyback off you, and this isn't really a storyline, but this is a take. Um, The Kansas City Chiefs playoff success or getting into the playoffs is only reliant on the success of starting pitchers not named Zach Greinke. That is the only thing that is going to determine what happens if we become playoff contenders and if we can go past the playoffs, like, like you said, someone has to pan out. I'm sorry. We saw, um, we saw moments of singer. We've, we've seen uh, COVID Keller, oh, yeah. which was amazing. And we saw some moments of Lynch and Coar, but moments is, are not going to cut it this year in 2022. So in order for us to be successful, like you said, one of these guys has to pan out. The singer's got it. Singer or Keller just have to be a star. We've seen Singer become a star. We've seen Keller at, at times. 2021 was not great for Keller. But if he can come back to be 2020 COVID Keller, right? No, not that he had COVID, but you know what I mean. COVID Singer, 
COVID season Keller, um, then I think we'll have success. And then part of that success is can Daniel Lynch, can Jackson Coar, can Asa Lacey, who is in our um, who is in our minor league squad that also has a lot of buzz, can one of those three guys become a stalwart, become a statue for that starting lineup? Because with Granky there, like you say, we have someone that we can rely on. But Granky can only win us so many games. So, like you said, can he inspire someone like a Coar, like a Lynch, like an Asa Lacey to come in here and really grow? Because like. Everything is there this year. Honestly, I think so. Like this offense and we can, this can not, I, I want to keep with the pitching because this is really the biggest story, like you said, or the biggest question mark. It's like the offense is there. Like we have an incredible one through nine that Michael A. Taylor is probably our ninth. And when he was batting for the most part, like three or four months into the season was our, our best hitter. And now he's number nine. Now we got Bobby Witt in there. I mean, that, uh, that hitting core is solid. Our reliefing core is solid, too. Like, Stahlmont, uh, we've talked about uh, Davis Barlow. I think we got another guy in there that I'll talk about later. Um, but I think that's a pretty good core. So, man, if our starting pitching, if we can get just two guys outside of Granky that can be successful, this is going to be a very exciting 2022 season. Well, one guy in particular I want to watch this year is Daniel Lynch, because I know there's a lot of talk last year saying that of all the prospects, he may be the one that has the best stuff. And, uh, you know, he started okay in his debut. You know, he had that 4.2 innings pitched, three earned runs, but then it was his next game where he couldn't even get out of an inning and he allowed seven hits, eight runs, and it was just really bad between he yeah. got sent back down, comes back up in July. He had a pretty respectable August. He only allowed one run in four different games during that time period. But then again, the wheels kind of fell off come September. You know, he allowed six runs, four runs, three runs. It's consistency. That's all I'm saying is consistency. You know, will the real Daniel Lynch show up? Are you the guy that pitched incredibly great in August and showed flashes of great potential? Or are you the guy who showed up in September who had an ERA well above four at that point? Uh, you know, part of what made the 2015 team so successful was the fact that prior to getting Johnny Cueto, we really didn't have an ace pitcher. We had Jordano Ventura who had again shown flashes, but he was very hot or very cold. But top to bottom, yeah. you knew it's like, okay, Ventura's probably going to go out there. He's either going to allow two runs or seven runs. We accepted that. Then we had guys like Edison Volquez. I'm like, I think Edison Volquez is going to around three and a half to four runs per game. And subsequently, that's what he allowed. We could trust all of our starters to show up and do their thing. Adding Johnny Cueto to the mix, well, chances drastically went down come playoff time when he was pitching away, as we all remember. But consistency mm -hmm. in the pitching. And you look at everybody else, you know, our, our one through nine in the lineup, we didn't have any superstars. We had a lot of like B-plus level guys, but they were all consistent together. So I know I'm just like beating the drum because I think it was my point last year, just talking consistency, consistency, consistency. But like you alluded to this year, we really do have a pretty solid lineup, you know, top to bottom of that batting order. You look at the infield alone. We got Bobby Wood Jr. We got Adalberto Mondesi. We have uh, Nicky Lopez. Uh, Whit Merrifield's getting moved out to right field, I think I heard. A big question mark, mm -hmm. speaking of which, is going to be that first base position. Do you think Carlos Santana's going to have that locked down for the year, or do you think he's kind of a stepping stone for one of our younger guys in AAA to come up? 
That's a good question. I think more so it's it's our DH position that is going to be the rotating position to kind of see where everybody fits. So we got Witt at third, right? We got Nicky Lopez at short. Oh, no, we got Mondesi at short. Um, we got Nicky at second. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so I would I would for now put Carlos Santana at first. I mean, it's really hard to figure out where Hunter Dozier is going to be and where like someone like Ryan O'Hearn or Edward Olivares, who like Ryan O'Hearn, like always does great in spring spring training, but it never translates. So like if if Ryan O'Hearn uh, can make that leap, then I think it would be nice to have him at first and then put Carlos Santana in the DH. But then we, we, we have like we have a very good problem where we have a lot of depth like like Edward Olivares that doesn't have a position right now but he's very good and he's been playing very good we've had and like you've said we've had some other people uh shine in spring training um so I think that the DH is going to be the rotating position and then from there we'll see how everybody fits uh but for now I think it's nice to have that veteran presence in Carlos Santana well, Salvador Perez is starting to get up there in years, particularly for a catcher. I mean, he had a career year last year where, although he wasn't in the AL MVP race, realistically he should have been. Uh, what do you think the odds are that we see Salvi doing closer to a 50-50 split between uh, catcher and designated hitter this year? Mm, probably we, we're probably going to see a lot of that because uh mj melendez has been doing pretty well I, I like him i think he's done a lot of great things so i think depending on where we are in the season so maybe in the middle of the season you know if things are looking good they might move him to dh once we get closer to the end of the season and we're fighting for a playoff spot which i'm hoping that we're at least fighting for one yeah. i think we're going to see a lot of i think we're going to see a lot of salvi in there uh, playing catcher instead but it would be nice to get a young guy like mj melendez a lot of um a lot of traction him and cam gallagher i don't know who is the official backup for Salvi? But it would nice. It would be nice to see MJ because I've really liked what he's done. Well, what do you think? Uh, you know, I'm really excited to see what happens with Salvi. I know we have a lot of young bats in the system, and you know, Salvi's time behind the plate is going to be limited. You know, you got guys like Yachty who've been doing that for close to 20 years now, but that's totally the exception, not the rule. And you also got to remember, Salvi's a big dude to be playing the catcher position, let alone this long. And the good news is, yeah. you know, he may be losing half a step in, you know, get, catching guys stealing second. He used to be automatic, not so much now. I know his, his pitch framing's not great, bro, which, you know, is, is like the most important thing ever for a catcher. A uh, bunch of crap. But, I mean, particularly now that we have the universal DH throughout all of baseball, I'm going to be curious to see if we're really going to want to put Salvi's dependable bat in that designated hitter position more often and let some young guys come up like Melendez, like you mentioned, and be like, are you the future at our catcher or are we going to have to look somewhere else, you know, in the coming drafts? Same thing could be said, as I was alluding to with Carlos Santana at first base, I know we got Nick Prado waiting in the wings. I think he was batting close to 265, yeah. 270 in the minors last year. So I'm excited yeah, to see like what, what he can do. He and uh, Bobby Wood Jr. really raked last year. They really did. So I think youth is the future of this team. But speaking of which, uh, you mentioned talks of competing for the playoffs this year and me saying youth is the future of this team. Uh, I want to throw something your way here. So recently, the Royals agreed to a restructured contract with Whit Merrifield. And as part of the agreement, the Royals have exercised their club option on Merrifield for 2023 and have added a mutual option for 2024. So... 
What does this Whit Merrifield contract negotiation say to you? Does it, do you think it's either A, that the organization thinks we're closer to competing for a wild card spot than maybe you and I think we are, or B, are they trying to make him team friendly for the next two years for a team that might want to trade for Whit Merrifield somewhere around the deadline? I mean, it could be both, right? I th- I'm hoping for A, but then if A doesn't work out, then they have the B option where they can move on from him. Um, but I think that they think that they are closer than than we think they are because uh, Dayton Moore and uh, Mike Matheny have been talking about this year is the year 2022. They've been talking about that for like three or four years now. They've been saying <laughs> Since that like 2016. You know, we're going to rebuild, <laughs> but 2022... 2022 is going to be the year so like they've been hyping this year up so I think this is all coming towards this being the year if it looks like we're serious if it looks like you know we are in wild card contention then I'm sure the Royals make one one more big move during the year uh, to make that final push maybe it's another maybe it's another pitcher if that's what we need but like I said if if pitching clicks this year you know again uh, remind me again uh, we fired our pitching coach is that correct um, or are you still there um, 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 that one's kind I of I feel like I feel like we had didn't we have like a whole talk about <laughs> the pitching coach and then he did get fired uh i don't know if cal elder we still wanted there him to get <laughs> i will look but anyway um no yeah cal's still I there just say, i hadn't heard JK. anything <laughs> <laughs> i could have sworn he was gone uh never mind he's still there so uh we gotta we gotta keep him yeah <laughs> what do you what do you think reese a or b <laughs> well you know the uh, the pessimist in me thinks they're wrong if they think it's A. I don't think this year we're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. What Merrifield is only getting older. So I would like to believe the answer might be B, which is we trade him for some major league ready prospects. And we trade Witt to a team that needs a literal do-it-all player. I mean, Witt Merrifield is like a Ben Zobris type. You know, you plug him into basically anything but pitching and probably catching and he's going to be able to do it for you. You know, you need to rest a guy playing third. Witt's there at third. This year you're seeing it. We're playing Witt out in right field. He's athletic. He's just overall a great player. Now, I've been saying for the last two or three years that we have to trade Witt Merrifield because every year I'm saying his value will never be higher. And subsequently, it's not. You know, the, the guy is going through his mid to late 30s now, so his value will not be as high as it was the year before. So I think if they were going to trade him for prospects, the time to do so was probably in 2019 or 2020. So do I think they're going to trade him this year? Probably not. Do I think they probably think we're closer to playoff contention than I do? I think that's probably the answer. Now, I don't know. Have you looked at the Picada standings for this year? No, I have not. This year, the Royals are projected at 69.5 wins and 92.5 losses. Do you like that split? Not Okay, not... Say that one more time. Okay, Royals projected 69.5 wins, 92.5 losses. Now, when I say, do you like that Yeesh. split? Not like, of course I like having 69 wins, but do you agree? Over under 69.5 wins with the Kansas City Royals. I mean, I want to be positive and take the over because 69 wins is not going to get us into the wild card, right? Not, e- am not I, even close. Am I wrong? No. We're, we're yeah, projected I mean, that's last. Awful. <laughs> okay, good. I just want to make sure I wasn't being stupid and saying like, no, no, I, I, I think I think they have the opportunity to go way over, hopefully hitting 80, 80 plus wins, I Ooh. think would be great if if we could, you know, 
really get that starting pitching together. I think that's the big if, but I'm actually pretty hopeful about this year. Again, nothing in this offense uh, makes me worried, and something with Bobby Witt having the superstar there, it might really get people in shape. Also, we haven't really talked about our um, our, our secondary, our, our, our relief pitching, uh, and it's great. They were great last year. There's nothing that tells me that it's going to get any worse. or any, So it really is starting pitching that I'm worried about. And if that can figure it out, why not? What do you think? Man, for being in a division that Picada only predicts that we have two teams over 500. They predict Cleveland seven games below. Detroit, they have them at uh, 14 games below, looks like. And they have us at 69 and a half wins. So the fact that it doesn't look like it's going to be a strong division. I mean, we're not the AL East. Yeah. I would like to believe that if we even partially take care of games against teams like Detroit and Cleveland, that this could realistically be closer to like a 76-77 win team. And I would like to see this team, either best case scenario, at least in the conversation of if they go on a hot run, they could get a wild card spot come late August, early September. But ultimately... If this team just flirts with 500 ball for most of the season, I'll consider that an absolute win. I would love to be able to follow the Royals past the end of May and know the season is not like completely over and beyond salvaging. Even if there's like the artificial glimmer of hope that this team is either going to, like I said, flirt with 500 or even maybe flirt with the playoff spot, I just want to be interested. I want to be able to open up the AL Central standings once or twice a week and say, like, oh, look at the Royals. They're right behind there. Oh, if they win this series or take two out of three against these guys, they can jump into third place. That's all I want to see as a baseball fan. That's all I want to see as a small market team. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully that all happens. We'll see, Reese. Um, any other last thoughts before we end this one and go into our beer review? Uh Man, I think the pieces are in place this year. I think there's a lot of potential on this team. And if the team does play up to its potential, like I said, no reason why they can't be flirting with 500 and maybe even sniffing that last wild card spot come playoff time. Excellent. And before we leave, I will say one thing that I didn't say. We don't have to talk about it too much, but um, actually we're not talking about it at all. But uh, Mondesi, this is it. This is your prove it year. I mean, even Whoa. even Dayton Moore, like last year, he said, uh, you know, Mondesi is no longer reliable uh, when it comes to injury and him being on the field. So that's it. If we see injury concerns, I'm sure Dayton Moore takes the first offer. Like like before his his trade value, I'm sure was very high, but that trade value is just dropping and dropping and dropping. And now with Bobby Witt Jr. there, we don't need someone like Mondesi to pan out anymore. We can we can part ways. Nick Prado, right? Like you said, Nick's having a great year too. Now we can say, all right, man, look, before we needed you, we thought you were going to be the next, we, we thought you were going to be your uh, your uh, dad, but you're not turning out to be your dad. Well, what, um, so we'll see what happens. What sucks so much with that is, I, I mean, I was all with you until you said you're not your dad because, I mean, when the guy's healthy and he plays his two-game stretches. Oh, he's great. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, he looks like Vlad Guerrero Jr. But two, <laughs> but two, two game stretches. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. You know what they say, your best ability is your availability and... You know, I, I've been hearing a lot of reports. Uh, this was, probably came last year you know, when the team was really frustrated, but they said they, they question if the guy knows the difference between the injury you can play through and should play through and an injury you shouldn't play through. I mean, that's hard to say because the fact that he misses so many games all the time. 
But man, I would just love one year where he just muscles through it. Unless like he physically cannot go, period. He goes. Because yeah. I think even like a two-thirds percentage, or two-thirds percent, I think even like a 66% Al- Albert, at Alberto Mondesi is an asset to this team. And we need all the assets yeah. we can get. Absolutely. So we'll see what happens there because, yeah, if he pans out, then that offense is even better. Um, speaking about even better, uh, stay tuned for a beer review because I've already had one of these great beers that I'm about to have, and I'm sure it's going to be even better on this podcast. Stay tuned. Everyone's favorite time of the podcast. That's right. It's This Week in Craft Beer, the section of the podcast where we break down what's going on this week in craft beer, as well as review a delicious craft beer for your listening pleasure. This week's story, Armando. So you may remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the untapped brewery madness bracket. And quick shout out to our Kansas Jayhawks, just uh, 40 minutes down the road in Lawrence, the 2022 NCAA Tournament Champs. Defeating the North Carolina Tar Heels in comeback fashion, 72-69. to But that's neither here nor there. Because the comeback we're talking about right now is the untapped brewery challenge. And Armando, I have not looked at the final bracket yet. Uh, Once Boulevard was eliminated, I kind of kept tabs on it until Three Floyds got eliminated by, like I predicted, New Belgium in the Sweet 16. And actually a very close matchup. But if you had to guess which brewery took home the gold... Which brewery do you think it is? Is it a brewery that I know? I don't know. I haven't looked at it yet. Just, I just want to take your guess. Oh, you have no idea. Yeah. You you also haven't opened I'll it up. I'll give you a hint. Here's your sweet 16. You had Southern Tier, Equilibrium, Anheuser-Busch, Lagunitas, Stone, not Keystone, Founders Brewing Co., Other Half, Toppling Goliath, Three Floyds, New Belgium, Treehouse Brewing Company, Guinness, Sierra Nevada, Great Notion, Goose Island and Bells. Which of those okay, breweries this, do you think took home the gold? And this is based on most checked in on Untapped. Most checked in, yep. Um, so not the best one. And uh, personally, I think Treehouse was the best out of all those breweries. But I digress. Um, most checked in Lagunitas is too mainstream that they probably didn't win. But Lagunitas, I think, is the highest grossing. Mm-hmm. Because Sierra Nevada has a lot of variety, I feel like people would would um, go ahead and check that in. So how about Sierra Nevada champions? The champions, your final four, Equilibrium Brewing, Other Half Brewing, Treehouse Brewing, and Goose Island. Oh, so the, whoa, so these are the... These are the, like, uh, micro-brews. These are the micro-brews, my brew. And the so out of out of those, I would say other half. Wow! And the winner, the winner by forty six check-ins is Treehouse Brewing Company. They are your twenty twenty two Untapped wow. Brewery hey, Madness champion. I called it, <laughs> dude. That's great. Good for them. I mean, the fact that you and I bemoan yeah. the fact that there were so many of these like macro breweries you know like odell's and boulevard and bells going up against each other the fact that we wound up having other half and treehouse let's just look at the path that uh they, they took to get here so let's see equilibrium by the way treehouse before you talk about it treehouse has the best hazy ipa 
Um, King King Julius is their IPA, and it truly is the best hazy IPA I've ever. Well, maybe not the best I've ever had, but very very good, and it's very expensive. Where are they located? Anyway. Uh, Boston, I believe, really? or Massachusetts area. Interesting. Okay, so Equilibrium uh, defeated Anheuser Busch, and other half defeated Equilibrium to make the finals. Meanwhile, Treehouse had to go through. They beat New Belgium in the Elite Eight and Goose Island in the Final wow. Four. So Treehouse earned every last check-in to win that. It's funny. The tournament had a wow. big dip in everyone's numbers in the Sweet 16. It's like, so the first round was decent. Second round, people showed out. Sweet 16, people kind of forgot about it. But then after that, suddenly like the votes chugged up again and went crazy. And in the final round, ultimately, uh, Treehouse, 39 22 other half 3876 so wow very impressive do you want to hear something even more impressive reese i do um so ladies and gentlemen reese has no idea what i'm about to review um one of the breweries that you just mentioned is the a beer that i'm reviewing today really okay i'm gonna guess it's uh equilibrium it is not okay um so here it is uh because i'm in new york and uh this brewery is very hard to find outside of new york but obviously it has a lot of reputation because it was in the finals of march madness bracket challenge i will be reviewing all nelson everything ipa from other oh my gosh Reese had no idea that I was going to review this. <laughs> oh, what are the odds? Okay, so I got to ask. That's funny, dude. If it's all Nelson, is it literally just nothing but Nelson Savan Hop? Sorry, I have to fix this mic it, or it's so smudgy here. No, you're okay. Uh, yeah, so this is 100% Nelson Savan Hop, correct. Wow. That's pretty sweet. That's pretty dope. Well, while Armando dusts off his... Uh, dude, you're making Sorry, it worse. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that looks... Is that looks better? Yeah or no? <laughs> no, it looks worse. <laughs> oh, YouTube. YouTube's going to have fun with this video. It looks like the windshield <laughs> that like the guy's driving in the Stan music video while he's talking to Eminem. Oh, oh. this is horrible. Get a Kleenex or something. Okay. Okay. Oh, back. Jesus. Okay, anyway, sorry. I feel so mean. Uh, while Armando's doing that, for those of you playing at home, we do review our beers, especially on this podcast, with five categories ranging from one to ten. We have aroma, appearance, flavor, mouthfeel, and aftertaste. Oh, that's so much better. It's like HD Armando now. All right. Yeah, dog. So, Armando, first category is going to be aroma. Why don't you crack that beer open? And uh, what are you pouring it into today? The uh, <laughs> There's the Chemex. Oh, the same coffee, the carafe, baby. Oh, man. The, uh, the killer carafe. Well, right. while you're pouring that in there, did you watch any WrestleMania this last weekend? Of course not. Oh, dude, it was pretty great. Although, I, I should have because the biggest storyline out of that is that Trey Smith was there with DK Metcalf. That's a big story. That's a big story. I think uh, my favorite part, well, bittersweet, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin came out of retirement and he wrestled one final, final match in Dallas, which, cool, I got to watch Stone Cold Steve Austin wrestle a match, but at the same time, there was something great because like wrestlers always break their like retirement vows and they always come out of retirement. Even Shawn Michaels did just a couple of years ago, 
But there was something about Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm like, dude, that guy's retired forever. He's never coming back. And I kind of really respect the fact that he's so unattainable. So seeing him come back was kind of bittersweet. It's like, ah, he broke retirement. But at the same time, it's like, great. He looked great. that money, baby. And he, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Love that beer. Love that beer. So I see it's all poured in there. Now, why don't you give us an aroma on that all Nelson? Look how, look at that, dude. Jeez, look at freaking... Bomb. It looks like it looks like honey when it crystallizes. Oh man. Okay. So this beer aroma on this, it is all grapefruit. Nothing else. Just wow. super dank. No pine. Very grapefruity. Very sweet, but orange rindy. Kind of sour. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. Nine point three. Shooting a 9.3 right out the gun. All right, so category number... I always bring the best beers for our fans. Dude, you sure do. Armando knows how to get it. All right, category number two is appearance. Uh, I got a good look at that beer. I think our fans got a good look at that beer, but what does that beer look like for those just listening at home? You, can, you can't even tell there's a person behind this nope. beer. Look at that, man. Nope. It's literally like James and the Giant Peach, your... Uh, you're pouring from the peach, that peach juice. I mean, look at that. Beautiful color. So thick. So This is a double, by the way. It's a double APA. So, wow. I mean, a lot of Nelson Hop in here. Um, looks beautiful. Golden color. Almost like you said, honey. Um, like honeycomb-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. How about a 9.1? <laughs> All right, 9.1. Looking pretty good. All right, then category number three, everyone's favorite flavor. <laughs> everyone's favorite category, flavor, Armando. Everyone's favorite flavor category. Oh, man, I love that category, flavor. It's like umami, but, you know, it's a little more bland. Woohoo! <laughs> man, okay. So, you know, when, like, an IPA is like very boozy. You can almost taste the like boozy quality of alcohol. Mm-hmm. I know that's stupid to say, but like you can't really taste alcohol within like, you know, wheat beer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I but I get a lot of that. I get that a lot on the initial flavor with the grapefruit. I mean, it's like, it's like I literally just ate, I'm like chewing on grapefruit right now. Like there's almost pulp in my mouth still. It's so juicy. Wow. What's the ABV on that? Like eight and a half? Exactly. 8.5. Nice. Um, Not a lot of sweetness, though. That's curious because I feel like a lot of Nelson that I have, one of the prominent uh, features of Nelson, I thought was uh, very sweet as opposed to tart, where I'm getting a lot of tart on this one, a lot of grapefruit. So I'm wondering if it's the chemistry behind a Nelson hop mixed with a citra hop or a mosaic or something that brings out some sort of fruit quality. Because I don't know if I've had a full Nelson, uh, no pun intended. (laughs) I've had a full Nelson beer where it's 100% Nelson. I have beers that are prominently Nelson, but I don't know if I've had 100% Nelson. So, um, So this is new to me. This is pretty new because I love Nelson, but maybe I love the mixture of it that really brought out the sugar part because like it's still very sweet, but like, man, is it actually a lot more sour than I thought it was going to be. 
Uh, still extremely good. Again, other half like there's a reason why they were in the finals of March Madness. They're they are the they aren't the Duke and the North Carolina, but they are the the uh, Davidson with with uh, Steph Curry on it. You know what I mean? Like they're they're coming in there, baby. Uh, this was good. Eight point seven on flavor. All right, eight point seven. Then interesting category, just by the way this beer looks, is going to be category number four, mouthfeel. What kind of consistency is there in the mouth? Is it thick like milk, or is it more mid-ground like water, or is it light like juice? It is like milk. Like milk? It is It is milky in here, dude. Mm. It's freaking milky. Oh, baby, milky Cabrera, my favorite kind of beer. Malky Brad Jr., baby. Yeah, <laughs> super, super heavy on the mouthfeel. Um, there is nothing thin. There is nothing light. There is nothing. I don't even know what I want to say about it. It's almost like it has like a dank viscosity to it, just like an imperial stout, not dank, but it has a lot of viscosity to it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, like that type of quality where it's just... Uh, syrupy, heavy. Actually, syrup's a bad adjective. I don't want to use that adjective. But very heavy. Um, Yeah, oh my gosh. Very, very crazy. I love it. That's great. This is exactly what I want from a double IPA or a triple IPA or something that's very hazy. You want that thickness of it. The the uh, the flavors just coming out on that tongue. I mean, amazing. A 9.3 on... Man, the second 9.3 of this review. Very good. Very good. All right. Mm-hmm. And then the final category, category number five, is aftertaste. Does that beer change its flavor profile after giving it a few breaths and having a few chances to open up inside of yourself? Yeah. Definitely, it's, it's calming down a lot. And when I first opened it and put it in there and had the taste, um, very sour, like I said, orange rind, grapefruit. Now I'm starting to get a little bit of sweet on that back end. After aftertaste, second taste, you're starting. To, it's starting to warm up a bit for me. Not temperature-wise, but warm up in the flavor profile. So I actually like it better now with second taste. Um, I don't know my research on oxidation and what it does to beer, but I wonder if that's actually a plus to this beer and the oxidation that it's having. Um, because on the back end, I do get a lot more different flavor. I get, um, not marshmallow, but pretty close to marshmallowy, mm. like sugary flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe because it's the warmness of that sweetness that I'm getting that, uh, of course, orange, like now a sweet orange as opposed to a grapefruit where it's predominantly sour. Although, oh, there's that you get the, you get the, the rind here and then. Yeah. But yeah, predominantly sweet. I love that aftertaste. It's great. Exactly what I wanted to beer with this style. A 9.7 Ooh, on aftertaste. 9.7. Maybe one of my favorites that I've ever reviewed oh. when it comes to aftertaste. Dude, Armando just bringing in the heavy hitters on this all Nelson IPA. Okay, then. So, last so but not least, thick. the not so secret category number six stonks drinkability quotient. Are the stonks through the roof on this, or are they trending low like the dot-com crash of the late 90s? Armando, in your own words, tell us how this beer makes you feel. You know what, Reese? Getting an other half beer is so rare. You can't find it anywhere other than New York. Maybe you can find it in New Jersey, but they do not do national distro or even re- regional distro. So the fact that I found this at a, at a Wegmans... Um, 
It was, and it was like, like other half has its own shelf. So you have your, like literally it's a full corner of the Wegmans is their beer collection. Wow. Then they have a fridge and you go inside the fridge and within the corner of the fridge, then they have a full other half selection and it's very hidden. And I saw one guy that was taking a lot of time in the, in the shelf. And I was like, why is that guy there? And I peeked over and, um, you can see from other half's insignia, it doesn't really show it other than this. That's when you know it's other half. Mm. Everything else, though, you have zero idea that it's other half from from this. Um, so when I saw that, I was like, oh, crap, there's other half here. Because I, d- I did a collab with other half when I was at Weldworks, and it is one of the most respected um, microbreweries in America. Amazing. Actually, the best triple IPA I've ever had was a Weldworks collab with other halves called Juicy Diamonds. And it is like, if you go on Untapped, it is rated one of the best beers of 2020 or 2019 when we did it. Um, anyway, an amazing brewery. Uh, the fact that I found it was amazing. Double IPA, all Nelson, my favorite hop. Wonderful. The fact that Reese had no idea that I was going to review this beer, and I had no idea that Reese was going to talk about the March Madness. And when Reese clicked the finals, he had no idea other half was going to be there. This was a beer sent by God. God wanted me to review this beer and to have this beer with my best friend, Reese. The Reese Incarnate, uh, whatever your name is. You're my best friend, but I don't even remember your name. Um, straight up 10, Reese. Oh. This is a sign from God. 10 stonks. That's one of the best and most impassioned stonks drinkability quotient explanations I think we've ever had in this podcast. So It's because it's 8.5 and it's hitting me after after a show, man. <laughs> At least he's honest. Live television, ladies and gentlemen. So, Armando, I have to ask, because it broke the 10 precipice with your stonks drinkability quotient, it is technically Mm. qualified for Mount Crushmore. Do you think this beer deserves a spot on Mount Crushmore? Okay, let's chat about Mount Crushmore. So, Hetty Topper, not a hazy, right? Or Hetty Topper is just a double uh, West Coast? It's a double West Coast, yeah. Okay. Um, Oh, man. It does not beat Hetty Topper in the IPA. Hetty Topper is still number one. Okay. But let's let's revisit. Can we think both together of a double hazy that we I mean we liked? So so there was the Weldworks one that I liked that was called uh, Extra Extra Juicy Bits. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Nelson that I, I don't remember if I put it on Mount Crushmore, but it was at least on the summit. Um this Weldworks one I think is still better than this one. Okay, but all to say, like again, I'm talking the best double hazy I've ever had was the Weldworks uh, Nelson extra extra juicy bits. Um, the second one, this may be number two on best hazies, so not on Mount Crushmore, but I think deserves to be on the summit. Actually, oh man, dude, that's awesome! Glad to have beers. Can you summit. can you think of a double IPA that you like? I'm trying to compare it to something. Maybe it's something I've had as well. I mean, a double or a double hazy. Because a double, I can name you a bunch of them. But Okay. Yeah, why don't we compare it to one of your favorite double hazy, just regular double IPAs? The Calling. <laughs> because, uh, okay. Because of my preference, you know I love hazies. Mm-hmm. I will say this is better than The Calling. It's okay. Again, 
Love the calling. Not anything bad to do with the calling. We love Boulevard. Um, but because the profile, the hot profile, I will say this is better than the calling. It, you may not think so because I know I know you like dank over sweet when it comes to IPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because this has a little more of a flavor profile that is to my liking, I'd put this one up there, man. All right. Armando really likes that beer. Well, thank you for sharing that all Nelson review with us, Armando. Uh, speaking of reviews, oh, you got one more thing to say? One more thing. Reese, I have one more of these left. Yeah. I'm going to save it for you oh. when you come to Colorado in a few weeks. Yep. That's a real thing. Armando and Reese reuniting in Colorado Springs. More. I'm going to save it. I know the temperature change may be a little drastic for it, um, so hopefully it stay, it keeps its quality, but I will save this one for you so you can try it. Don't worry. I'm, I'm already starting to put together the beer package I'm bringing with you because I'm driving, dude. Ah! I'm driving. So. Oh, that's right. Yep. Oh, man. Nine and a half hours in a Honda Accord, baby. Holy crap. Yeah, we'll make sure uh, we'll uh, treat you well in the Colorado Springs. All right. gentlemen we are back from a great beer review uh, almost um mount crushmore but not mount crushmore beer uh again it's called all nelson everything by other half a really great brewery if you're ever on the east coast go to go to new york this is the brewery to try when you're in manhattan it's actually in the brooklyn area but anyway uh really good time we're about to keep those good times rolling we talked about bobby witt jr we talked about the all nelson everything and now we're going to talk about the Batman, um, Reese. Uh, so I'll preface. So I, we're about to have some spoilers, by the way. So if you don't want, it, it's okay. You don't have to listen to the rest of this. Just make sure and download, subscribe, donate on Patreon before you say goodbye. If you still have not seen the Batman and want to talk about Batman uh, later on, uh, but uh, the reason why we're talking about this is Reese texted me and I was like, "Hey, man, we should talk like Royals." And he's like, "Yeah, but can we talk about Batman too?" And I was like. Sure. So, ladies and gentlemen, I have no idea what Reese wants to say about Batman. Both of us have seen it uh, recently. Um, so, Reese, the floor is yours. Spoiler alert. Here we go. Yeah. Well, thank you for handing that off, Armando. I, we've, we kind of alluded to this at the beginning of season three, especially in this NFL offseason. We kind of want to have a little bit more like entertainment and the concept of our sports and entertainment. And one of the big things right now is this latest Batman film starring Robert Pattinson. And I'll be honest, going into it, I had pretty low expectations. I think I know or I knew why. Well, so I knew it wasn't part of that DC extended universe that, you know, they really dropped the ball on, you know, Batflick and Henry Cavill, Superman and all that. Jazz. I knew this was separate from that. It's still a little pocket thing. But. You know, they haven't really had a good track record of DC films, period, since Fair. the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy or Dark Knight trilogy ended back in, what was it, 2011? So, I, was Christopher Nolan attached with DC, though? He, I mean, yeah, you know, it's Batman film, so it's a DC film, but it wasn't like the DCEU got started after the Dark Knight films. I ended. see. Yeah. Okay, okay. So... Especially with Robert Pattinson playing Batman. I'm not a huge Robert Pattinson guy because to me, he's like perpetually stuck at 24 years old. 
Which isn't his fault, but I'm just... have Before you talk more, have you seen The Lighthouse? I haven't seen The Lighthouse. No, I've heard it's really scary, and I'm kind of scared to see it. Oh, it's not It's not a horror film. It's very psychological. But okay. I would say, before you make a Robert Pattinson mm-hmm. judgment, watch The Lighthouse. Okay, so all that to say, I was skeptical going in. I'm a big fan of the Dark Knight trilogy, but, dude, this film knocked me in my butt, and I can't wait to see it again. Really? You're going to go back and watch a three-hour film? It didn't... F- okay, so it felt long, but it didn't feel like getting uncomfortable in my seat long. They tried at the yeah. end. The last, like, eight minutes of that film I thought was going to end two or three times. And was like, okay, come on, come on, come on. I'm like, I know this is done. But no, it didn't... I, yeah. It didn't feel nearly as long as Star Wars Episode Eight, using that as a barometer. Fair. But what did you think of the film? You know, I'm going to compare the Batman to um, what we just did with the beer review. Okay. My all in else and everything was in- incredible, but it wasn't the best double IP I've ever had. And it's the same with this Batman is a very, very good film, but I don't think it sniffs the Christopher Nolan trilogy. Okay, that's fair. What did you think about the representation of Batman in this film as like going back to the roots of world's greatest detective as opposed to like, I don't know, he he talked about symbols and that he was vengeance a lot, but it wasn't nearly as preachy as it was in the Christopher Nolan trilogy. What did, what did you think about like the crime thriller Batman? Did you like that take? Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. It actually reminded me of the um, the uh, well, actually the Fox. There was no Batman, but if you think of the Fox um, Fox series Arkham, oh yeah, uh, did you see any of that? I saw bits and pieces. I never like watched the show though. So Fox's Arkham actually really reminded me of this because it it, it it's a movie, but it really kind of sets itself up as this like television L.A. noir. Mm-hmm. Um, detective like mystery type of thing right which is similar to the fox series so that's kind of what i i um uh, likened it to is what i want to say likened uh i liked it i liked the whole director um sorry detective thing i think he i think he uh when okay so it's spoilers when they're in the church and the guy has the bomb and then the 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 uh, riddles come about mm-hmm. i think he solves the riddles way too fast yeah, i think it'd be nice to see some some like character analysis going through in his head like trying to figure it out um i was totally cool with that i had an issue with the mascara and the like emo yeah. batman that they were trying to p- portray I just I just didn't buy it. Like if if we would have had more backstory about about the whole death of uh, the uh, the uh, Wayne father and the Wayne mother, I think if we would have seen a flashback to really get into his like depression and into his like emo, I think I would have bought it. But there wasn't enough backstory there for me to really invest into into Robert Pattinson's like portrayal of him being just so not lifeless, mm-hmm. but being just so pathetic and not pathetic in a bad way but you know actually without emotion what do you think that's a really what do you think about the whole emo thing well that's that's a really fair take i actually didn't mind his portrayal of batman the superhero the vigilante but i think part Mm -hmm. of what makes like the whole scope of the batman character altogether so interesting is that like whole dichotomy between you have like 
by day, fairly friendly, th- philanthropic playboy Bruce Wayne. And by night, you right. have like sociopath in a costume. And that's what Batman is. My problem was he played Bruce Wayne the same way he played Batman. Wait, it's Batman. Like Batman was very exactly. angry and brooding in this film. Bruce Wayne at the same time. I joked with my wife. This really ticked her off. I called him uh, what I call him. I called him uh, Edgelord Cullen, basically, or Edward Sullen, <laughs> just because that, that's what he looked like. It, it may have well been his Twilight character. Just the fact that he was so lifeless and he was almost zombie-like. It's I, I get it. Yeah. You know, this is supposed to be like younger Batman. He's only two years removed from his parents' death and all that stuff, or two years into the the Batman superhero. But it's like. Dude, if, if that's the guy who's walking around, it's like, oh, that's Batman. It's like, yeah, he's, he's the exact same person as the guy who, like, wails on, dude. This has got to be Batman. So I, I didn't care for that, and I'll be <laughs> interested to see where they take the character after this film. Because like you said... Yeah, it's hard. It, it's going to be tricky. And like you said, it's, it's really interesting. Is They're signed on for two more films in an HBO series. So this is going to be kind of like its own pocket universe. So it's going to have, like, room to breathe and room to expand and all that. And I'm looking forward oh, to seeing cool. what they do with it. But I don't know. It was the plot for me was it was really good. I thought it was a little weird at times. What did you did you like the way the plot had so many twists and it was so like you said, L.A. Noir? Yeah, I mean, super L.A. Noir with the mafia and Penguin, like not even being anything Penguin like other than he had like a little hobble here and there. Mm-hmm. Um um but i you know i actually enjoyed that aspect of it i actually like the whole detective and the la noir and the, and the mafia stuff because we haven't really seen a lot of like mafia um owed to who's who, who's the guy that that plays the uh, main mafia member what's that guy's name uh you, you talking falcon or uh yeah falcone yeah yeah felt yeah who was the character or who's the actor? Do you remember his name? If you don't, it's I can't. Fine. I can't remember his name. Anyway, right. that that guy I've seen in so many different films. This was great. I think it was really cool to see him as a like a mobster that we've never seen before, as he's so subtle. Um, and just a really great performance. Um, so I actually really enjoyed the whole L.A. noir, even though it's supposed to be New York, but like that whole realm. I think they did a really good job with. Um, I was uh, okay. I feel like the Christopher Nolan one was very shock factor, right? Like, for example, the uh, the uh, stadium blowing up, right? Super shock factor. You have no idea what's going to happen. This had less shock factor, but I think storyline was actually pretty solid, where it was like, oh my gosh, like this is the big reveal, or the whole like flood that happened, the whole flood sequence in the stadium with the snipers. Like, I thought that was really well done, and that really kept me on the edge of my seat um, for that whole thing. And then him discovering the whole forum with the fanboys on the blog, like, that was, I thought that was all really cool. What'd you think? Dude, it's so funny you. F- Tell me that like Bane blowing up the stadium is so shocking, but you were cool with the snipers. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but for me, I was the opposite. Like in this day and age of school shootings and all that stuff, the fact that Riddler got a bunch of like Redditors to get sniper rifles and pick people off from the ceiling felt a little icky to me. It hit a little close to home. Cringy. I'm just kind of like, I'm like, "Ah, do we really need to be like putting this in front of a bunch of 18 to 35 year old guys right now that will probably try and imitate Mm. it? Especially when even in, remember Dark Knight Rises, someone did that. Someone went into an Aurora Aurora theater. An Aurora, yeah. It was terrible. An hour away from it. Yeah. So 
what I would have done in that case is I, I think it, it was so shocking to me with that. It's like they could have come across the same thing if Riddler's like, okay, so I've got van bombs and they're going to blow up the dam, which they did. And he's like, and they're all going to congregate at the stadium, which, surprise, surprise, is also rigged to blow. Because to me, like, explosions in Hollywood are much more, like, anonymous and a broad paint stroke than, like, watching guys just, like, sniping the mayor and people like that in a stadium. Or if mm-hmm. he still wanted to have his, you know, like, 4chan users doing what he wants them to do, he can be like, I have guys at the stadium right now rigging it to blow. Because, again, I find explosions a little more anonymous than getting hit with a 50 cal rifle up in the, the rafters. But, I don't know. Yeah, I... I- I think this version of it definitely had more parallels to real life than the Christopher Nolan one. Christopher Nolan could care less about what was happening in the real world, where you definitely saw a lot of odes to things that are happening. Like you said, the blog boys. Um, You also had a very progressive mayor uh, that is very similar to something that could happen here in the United States, like a progressive mayor trying to, you know, find a position in the world and make a difference in the world. And, um, yeah, I think this one definitely tried to make some parallels with today's 2022 world, which I I, I was fine. Like I can totally see that you thought that it was distasteful for, for them to the sniper stuff. Yeah. I totally, I totally see that as well. Um, but I thought it was fine for them to compare, you know, today's day and age um which i for ironically as we, we you, you and i see it different ways where if if you compare something to 2022 i'm like uh eh, whatever it happens yeah. you know like it's 2022 where like the christopher nolan one it's just it's his whole it's a whole different universe like not anywhere close to what is happening in my day and age and like it's just like ah yeah the whole stadium just freaking blew up what in the world and and i, I like look christopher nolan is known for like just huge um whatever he does explosive wise and just his scenes are Mm -hmm. just massive right like you think of tenant you think of inception you think of like he is defined by just incredible tragedies that happen or explosions or guns where this definitely seemed a little more story driven to me yeah and you know, I'm glad you brought up the realism of it all because I think that's one thing the Christopher Nolan trilogy did do pretty well. Again, you know, you're, you're not going to have some guy saying send every cop in the city down, you know, and then like <laughs> blowing them up and keeping them trapped. <laughs> oh, crap. We sent everyone down there. Dude, that is still the stupidest, the stupidest <laughs> thing in like any superhero film. Good night. Uh, but I, I think part of what, ma- what makes Dark Knight Rises so great is that that was the first Batman film that really felt like borderline realistic in the sense of, you know, there were no superpowers. There was no like syndicate. It was yeah. just like this one crazy sociopath guy that was always one step ahead because you couldn't predict what he's going to do. And I think my favorite versions of Batman are always the ones where he's separated away from the Justice League and or he's not fighting like aliens or supernatural dudes or whatever, whatever. Because at his core, it's like this is, again, still just a really in shape, good at fighting rich dude with a bunch of gadgets and a Tony great Stark. <laughs> I mean, but the thing is, even Tony Stark's got a robot suit. You know, it's like if a dude had a robot suit and could fly and fire lasers, I'm like, yeah, he's, yeah, he could fight aliens. He could fight a demigod. I believe it. But like, you know, even like the Justice League cartoon series, I love it. It's cool. But, you know, Batman's. 
Batman's throwing pocket grenades at, you know, Apocalypse and stuff like, or not Apocalypse, oh, Dark Side and stuff like that instead of, you know, Superman who can revolve the Earth, you know, by flying around it fast enough. <laughs> what, what I'm saying is, this Batman iteration did a really great job of just making him some human dude who's really smart, good at solving mysteries, yep. and everything felt grounded. So, like you said, I kind of have to take the good with the bad and that if they're going to make this realistic, it's like, yeah, I could see a guy you know, getting a bunch of Redditors together like that and doing something insane. But at the same time, yeah. I like that there were characters like the Penguin, who was just kind of Danny DeVito. You know, he was... Just a dude, yeah. Short and unattractive guy with scars on his face. You know, he did. He wasn't gross. He didn't eat pickled herring like the, ironically, Danny DeVito penguin and all that stuff and all all the mob films. Which is actually my favorite Batman. It's it's a pretty good Batman film. Com- you know, we'll do that too. We'll break down the Christmas, Batman Christmas movie. We have, we, have to, we have to debate whether that's a Christmas movie too. We do. One of my favorite Christmas movies. But now, speaking of villains... I think for me going forward, it's going to be really imperative that they keep this grounded in reality Batman because I did some digging. I went online. I heard talk. They're thinking about putting like Mr. Freeze in one of these films. And I'm like, Mm. okay, if you put Mr. Freeze in one of these films, I'm like, I don't know. It's not realistic anymore. Yeah. There's not a guy walking around Chicago blasting people with a freeze ray, you know, and same thing with like people like even Poison Ivy. It's like someone like Poison Ivy could work if you're like, oh, she's an eco-terrorist and like this is her nickname or something like that. But it's like... I- also, how are they going to do that when the end of the film, it's it's clearly the Joker, right? Well, again, Joker's a pretty realistic... Joker's just some dude who's crazy, which is great, which is what right. made the Riddler so great. The Riddler was just like some sociopath, you know, Unabomber type, right? which I, yeah. I buy. So I, Which I buy, yeah, absolutely. I think going into future films... This is. I, it would be really cool if they employ, uh, put in some of the lesser known, semi more modern villains. Like, are you familiar with Hush? No. Oh, dude, I'm not gonna spoil in case they use him, but like Hush would be perfect because again, just a dude. Or are you familiar with uh, the concept of the Court of Owls? No. They're sort of like a. Re- I. Uh, by the way, I, I'm not a big like DC or Marvel guy okay. or anything like that. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Well, I, I barely saw Fast and Furious. Why do you think I would know the the like deep cut villains? F- fair enough. Well, well, Court of Owls would be dope just because like they're basically sort of like an Illuminati mafia that's like been in Gotham like long time. Mm, work. So it's like again, it's like yeah, I'd buy that. There's some sort of like real deep cut mafia running the city sort of thing. I just don't want. Uh, you know, no Mr. Freeze. I don't want Killer Croc. I don't want... I mean, you could technically do Scarecrow, I guess. But yeah. that's, that's where I'm getting at. Keep keep the films what, of Batman ground in reality. I have a couple of questions before we end. What is your opinion that they're going to bring back the, uh, the uh, Joker after we just saw two iterations of the Joker? And then this film decides, okay, there's so many. Oh, why don't we do another iteration of, of, of the Joker? What do you think about that? Um, so I saw that the original cut of the film actually had a full five minute scene with the Joker where Batman goes to Arkham and he kind of like interrogates him. He's like, yo, I need leads on how this guy's thinking and like what's he going to do next and really? all that and it's a good scene it just doesn't necessarily fit in the film and with a film that's already three hours i see you know why it landed on the chopping block uh i mean i'll use wrestlemania as another analogy so stone cold steve austin came back he had a confrontation with vince mcmahon in the ring 
Vince McMahon and Stone Cold Steve Austin have Tom and Jerry'd it for the last 25 years that they get a beer. Are we cool? Okay, we're cool, right? He starts drinking the beer. They start drinking the beer. Then Stone Cold kicks him in the gut, gives him a stunner. Like, it's always going to happen. That's if, if they didn't, people would boo. So it's frustrating because on one hand, it's like the Joker's been done to death. I mean, through the Arkham games, through all of the Batman films, you know, Joker's had a presence. Batman the Animated Series, he's a big gun. So on one hand, it's like you got Joker fatigue. But on the other hand, if you don't, if they did this entire Batman three film series, HBO series, and didn't mention the Joker, it's like, how do you do a Batman that doesn't feature the Joker? Do you see the Catch-22 in all this? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, now he's like a staple in culture, especially in 21st century culture. Like, of course, people are going to use him. I think that's fair. Uh, one more question that <laughs> the one gripe. I mean, I had gripes with the film, but this is the biggest gripe. What did you think about Batman's car? The Batmobile. Uh, it's like the least imposing Batmobile ever, because I think I see like three of those Batmobiles going up and down the nine highway on Sunday evenings when the cops aren't there. You know, it's like, <laughs> what was it? It was like a Dodge Challenger with, I think, you know, like air intakes and some sort of propane yeah, grill like, in the back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was that was my biggest gripe with the film. If he is a billionaire and all the other um, Batmans, like he puts money into that car. Why would he not put money into his Batmobile? It just yeah. looked like an ode to like the 1980s and he souped it up. Mm-hmm. Like if he was a big car guy, then maybe, but like there was no, it was just weird for the car just to be like kind of stupid that he's, he souped up his own car. Like if he was poor, sure, but he's a freaking billionaire. Like you'd think he'd get a Lamborghini and you would try to outdo Christopher Nolan's Batmobile. So that's why I was like, this is stupid. I was yeah. like, come on. He, he 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 wouldn't try to soup up a car, you know what I mean? No, I, I agree. And the fact that like this Batman had like those eye cameras, it's like okay, so he has like super nanotech, I don't know, uh, contact lens camera technology. Yeah, the contact lenses, like cool, that was awesome. But he got this car I've seen on Facebook Live. You know, it's like <laughs> I. I know Facebook marketplace <laughs> for like two grand. <laughs> Craigslist is Batman's car. Um, I, th- I thought it was. F- I wasn't like super upset about it, but I, I was with you. It's like, you know, the you look back at the Tim Burton, uh, you know, '90s Batman films. That car had a very stylistic approach to it. Yeah, it was dope. The Christopher Nolan Batman series, it's like, okay, this isn't the fastest car ever, but it's like some sort of, you know, basically literal military all-terrain tank car sort of thing. I'm like, that's cool. I buy that. You know, he he had trouble catching up to the Penguin when he was on, like, the 20 Interstate, you know? It's like, I'm not super afraid of that car. (laughs) Last one, Reese. How did Batman not get shot in the face? Dude, right? (laughs) I'm like, am I more blown away by the fact that he can take like 12 gauge shotgun shots right to the chest or the fact that like no one can aim for his face? How did how did no one hit his face? Like some like there was that one in that mob scene where they all had like AK-47s and no bullet hit his mouth. Like I get it cool that he had all the bulletproof like Kevlar. That was amazing. But like. Like it was clear. Like I'm like, come on, someone's gonna hit his face. I, I would say it's mind blowing, but obviously it didn't blow his mind one bit. So you know, I don't know. Maybe they hired stormtroopers or something. But I was with you. It's like it was just incredible. They had two or three guys shooting them at one time, and like no one's like, hey, 
I'm gonna aim for the head because even if you like go upwards and like you're th <laughs> there's throwing no a spray, armor. Yeah, you, you hit him. You hit at least one. But I mean, the, the flip side of that was I thought. What did you think of his fighting? Because I really liked the combat of this. Batman. It was cool. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Like it wasn't like it wasn't superhero-y. It was very like um, I don't know. It was very like army combat. Like he clearly um, Robert Pattinson himself had training from someone to learn what he did. Because the other ones you write are very unrealistic fighting, but this was like super realistic fighting. If you watch him in Tenet, like. Like that, he also he he must have trained for Tenet because that is very real, realistic fighting as well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that was great. That was cool. Yeah, really cool. Robert Pattinson is a good actor. It's a good actor. Watch watch Lighthouse. So this is the biggest uh, shocker of it all. You don't like horror films? Are you a big anti horror guy? I, I like some horror films. Uh, I am easily kept up at night, unfortunately. Uh, really? Yeah. I didn't I didn't know you were a spooked guy. You yeah. seem like such a stoic. Like that wouldn't phase you. Hey, I was talking to you last week at how I'd believe all those conspiracy theories. You know, if someone told me that was the uh, reality, so, like if you told me you know, was, <laughs> if Michael Myers was like um, somewhere in North Casey, I'd be like, oh crap. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know much about Robert Pattinson other than Tenet and then The Lighthouse, but watch The Lighthouse because it is it's very messed up, like psychologically, mm. but really cool with him and and Willem Dafoe. I mean, a really great like character study. I know you really like dive into actors and stuff i think you'd really enjoy it but it's it, it is it is pretty messed up though it's not like hoary like ooh ah it's just like what the hell because <laughs> if you think about it someone having to be in a lighthouse for a whole month without anybody there or like two months or something of course they're yeah. gonna go crazy i won't i won't spoil it but anyway any last any last comments before we send it off uh yeah, I I liked the Batman. I I'm not gonna pretend it's like you know a, piece, a cinematic masterpiece of any way, shape, or form, but I thought it was really entertaining. I'm looking forward to going back and either seeing it in theaters or renting it on DVD. Uh, oh my gosh, renting it on DVD? What's wrong with DVD? Me? Dude, uh, we don't do that anymore. Let me dust off my laser disc. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna watch Batman and Robin. Uh, no, streaming like a normal functioning non sociopath. Uh, yeah, but. You know, that's what I'm saying. Don't judge a book by its cover. I didn't have high hopes going into this. Yeah. I thought it looked really bad, uh, but they proved me wrong. So it's good film. Yep, definitely. If you guys haven't seen it and for some reason you listened to all this and we spoiled everything, go watch it because it's great. And that's it for us on, on Found City Sports Media. Go Royals. Go Chiefs. Hopefully we get another wide receiver. We'll talk about that soon. Maybe we'll talk draft next week, um, but stay tuned. We'll see you next time. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and & Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media.